Okay, we're in a series. We're in a teaching series called The Apprentice, and uh, it's really what we're talking about. The discussion, the conversation is about being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and then doing the things that Jesus did. And uh, so last year, last year, last week, we began the conversation of becoming like Jesus. And um, I wonder what you remember. Oh, here we go. Don't worry. You weren't here. That's okay. There's the podcast. Um, Our goal is really that we would become spiritually formed. And I basically said that last week we are continually being formed into something or someone, regardless of what it is, but we're constantly being formed. And there are three kind of key core things that are shaping who we are, uh, the way that we think, the way that we behave, and the way that we live our lives. And firstly, it's the habits that we form and keep. What are the things that we do on a regular basis? What are the ways that we think? What are the things that we do on a regular basis? Because whatever those rhythms or those habits are, uh, we become like. The second one is the relationships that we keep. I said that last week that whoever we spend our time with, you know, as iron sharpens iron or as, as we kind of rub off on each other, we become like one another. And that's just kind of what happens. And then the third one was the story or narrative that we have received, that we have lived, or that we have heard. And that could be the stories in the culture around us and the voices that are being spoken of right now in culture and society are the things that shape and form who we are. Or it could be our personal story, the story that we have lived so far. And very often the story that we grew up with in our most formative years, in our childhood years, but also throughout our lives. The power of our stories, both good and bad, have the power to change who we are. And we often live, don't we, out of the place of our story. And I felt and I sensed last week as I shared that one, that that really struck a chord with many of us. And uh, it's funny, in Life Group, uh, we were chatting about this very thing, and I was like, I can tell when God's on what I'm saying. And I can tell because I can see it in people's faces. You can literally just see the countenance of your face go, my goodness, that's it. And I just know that there's something there. And I felt last week exactly that. And I felt like we needed to spend just a little bit of time just camping out in and around this whole subject of our story. You see, many of us, I think in our lives, we get to this place in our lives when we're spiritually formed, we're wanting to become more like Jesus, want to follow Jesus, want to do the things Jesus do, but we get stuck and we don't know what to do. And it's often our story and it's often our painful story that's the thing that keeps us from actually entering into the fullness of God. When Jesus says about living life in all its fullness and da di da di da we believe it, don't we? We read those words, we say, yes, but, and it's usually the but, and it's usually the story that we have lived, either that we're responsible for, or someone else did whatever, or something happened to us, which was not our responsibility, but nonetheless is part and parcel of our painful story. And I think many of us, myself included, we have been subject to that, and yet it's not the place where God the Father would have us live our present and our future. And so buckle up. We're going to look at the story of David this morning in a little bit of detail. And then we're going to look at 
Well, what did he do to not allow the pain of the past to affect his present and his future? So, uh, we pick up the story of David. He's the youngest in his family. And uh, who here is the youngest in your family? Put up your hand if you're the youngest. And how's that been for you over your years? It's been okay. I was the youngest of two. But sometimes if you're the youngest of three or four or five or whatever, it really defines you, right? Likewise, if, who's the oldest? Oh, there's much more older people in here. Oh, older, older of the people. That's, that's what I meant. And eldest. Any middle child? Oh, that's pretty. How can you? Oh, yeah. Any only child? Ah, are you? Really? Goodness me. Corinne Latham. Sure. Yeah. One was enough. <laughs> My goodness. There you go. So those, where, where we are and where we're born can actually have a profound effect on our lives, can't they? The way we were raised and where we were in the pecking order can actually have uh, a tremendous impact. Uh, for, uh, for David, it was just that. We pick up the story where in 1 Samuel 16, the prophet Samuel has visited uh, David's father's house as the Lord has told him that one of the sons of Jesse, that's the daddy's name, is going to be king and will someday um, take charge or take over from King Saul. And what happens is Samuel goes to Jesse, says, I want to see your sons, bring them before me because I'm going to anoint one of them to be king. And he brings them one by one. And you'd think by the look of them, that's surely the, the Lord's anointed one. And each time Samuel rejects and says, no, that's not the right one. No, that's not the right one. And goes through all of the brothers. And yet Samuel has not yet uh, distinguished the Lord's anointed one. So we pick it up in verse 1, 1 Samuel 16, sorry, verse 11. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said to him, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. What's interesting here is we already begin to pick up. He's the youngest and he's not even named. He doesn't even say, oh, well, there's, there's we, David. He's out and, and the ship. He, he doesn't even name him. He's just only known as the youngest. His dad alludes also uh, to how unlikely a prospect it would be of naming David. It couldn't possibly be David, the youngest. Why? Because he's the shepherd boy. He's out doing the job that no of the other brothers wanted to do. You see, as a shepherd growing up in that culture was not a desirable kind of job. It was a job that was actually detestable in some cultures. And in the Hebrew culture, uh, shepherds were looked down on because they often didn't make it to the temple for purification and uh, all of that stuff simply because they were out looking after the sheep. We pick up the story, don't we, when Jesus is born in Bethlehem. It was the, the shepherds out tending to the flocks at night that, the, that God sent the angels to. Why? They were the common people. They were the ones, they were kind of the lowest of the low. 
Why would God choose David? And yet David had been subject to that. That was his story. Do you understand? That was his story. He was known as the youngest, just the one out there with the sheep. Forgotten about. Not really thought about. And yet this was the man that God was choosing to replace Saul one day. The Lord, verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, or that he was young. He didn't say it there, but for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is the beginning of what we uh, unfold and what we see of David's story. We also see that his job and position within the family affects him in the next chapter. It's the well-known chapter when David goes to fight Goliath. Of all people, why would the shepherd boy be able to overthrow this giant, this huge Philistine man that's mocking and taunting the people of Israel? David goes down there and his eldest brother, we pick it up, 1 Samuel 17, 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. David's oldest brother's trying to humiliate him. And he's trying to humiliate him and he's even saying those few sheep. It's not even like you're in charge of lots of sheep, those few sheep. What what are you doing here? We begin to unpack and see David's role within the family. How he's put down. This is his story. This is his upbringing. I wonder how many of us can relate to any of that. Your place, your role within family. If not, that's got nothing to do with your story. But yet you kind of relate somehow to just feeling inferior. Just feeling, well, nameless. Not thought of. Forgotten about. A nobody. And if that's not your story, what's your story? What's the pain of the past? Or the pain even of the present that's affecting the present and affecting the future? My intention this morning is to look at David's life. Look at where he came from, but look at where he went to. What was it that David had done? What was it that actually empowered David to live the kind of life that he lived He's anointed by Samuel to be king, and much later he becomes that. And you think, wow, what a promotion. Zero to hero, shepherd boy to king, plain sailing, living the dream. But it wasn't that way. It really wasn't. It's fair to say that David lived an incredible life. He led well, and he lived well, and he followed God faithfully. He had some incredible success, and, and probably goes down in history as Israel's finest king. But his story was marked with constant opposition, constant pain, constant, constant, constant hardship. And it's where we see in his life a phrase that we use often in our lives. It's the blessing and the battle. And they do go hand in hand. Here are just a a summary of David's hardship and opposition. He was attacked by both a bear and a lion on his job. When we just read that, it's like, oh yeah, bear, lion. You imagine, just imagine that. 
Kids imagine that, right? You're out, Harry, with your shepherd's crook. You've got a few sheep and a bear comes along. Imagine it. That's a story you're going to tell your grandkids, isn't it? Probably time and time again. He had to fight an actual giant in order to save his country, even though he had no military training. The king that he saved tried to kill him on numerous occasions over a long period of time. He had to leave his best friend behind when he ran away because the king wanted to kill him. We are told he cried a lot. He had to pretend to be insane for a season of his life. Even though he lived in luxury, while he was on the run, he was living in caves and in the open wilderness. I know as I'm reading these things, they kind of sound like, oh, there, there, there. Just take it in. This was a person's life. This is how he lived. Cities he saved from his enemies would tell the king he was there and give him up, even though he'd put his life on the line. To be safe, David moved in with his enemies because it was the only place the king wouldn't go and look for him. On one occasion, while fighting for his enemies, the town that he and his men left was burned to the ground and all their women and children were stolen by raiders. The men who had lost property, wives, children, wanted to kill David, even though he had given them a home. His best friend died, including the king. David grieved for a long time. One of his commanders turned on him. How do we fancy David's story? You fancy that kind of life? This happened all before the age of 30. Eventually he becomes king. And you think, ah, live in luxury, live in the palace. We're told his wife despised him for his dancing. (laughs) My wife does that all the time. (laughs) Been subject to that many a time. He faced opposition because of an affair that he had and then effectively gets a man murdered. One of his sons dies as a result of his sin. Another son he had raped one uh, of his daughters. Another son then killed that brother because he raped that sister. That son then tried to overthrow his dad from the throne and drove him from his home. Just in case that wasn't bad enough, we read that he was weeping and barefoot got pelted with stones and cursed by some people as he was fleeing. That son was then killed in battle, even though David had said not to. The Lord punishes him for another decision he made, and he suffers a plague. That's pretty tough, right? Again, we just read over that. That's just a brief summary of some of the stuff that he'd endured. We see the blessing and the battle go hand in hand. What was it that David did? What was it? that he managed to endure such hardship and still live the kind of life that God had ordained for him. First of all, David was a worshipper. Those formative years, you can imagine, can't you? Out in the fields, looking after the sheep. He would have spent many an hour in silence and solitude. Just him and the Lord. All those hours spent looking after sheep, tending them, taking them to pastures green, taking them to water so that they could replenish themselves. Time and time and time again, all of that happening, preparing him for some day where he would lead the people of Israel. He would once later become king. 
We read all about that from Psalm 23, don't we? I've shared this before, I'll share it again. For me, uh, my days at university were not my finest days. Uh, just I was pretty lonely. I didn't really enjoy it much. Uh, I didn't really make good friends, which is quite surprising because I'm a really nice bloke. Um, but I, really, I just didn't really settle there. And actually, my heart was elsewhere. And I don't mean uh, uh, with a woman heart being elsewhere. I wanted to be somewhere else. And I spent three years away from home and uh, studied, and it was necessary that I studied. Uh, I might have told you this before, I might not have said this before. I wanted to give up after two years. I was unhappy. And God spoke to me in a dream. It was really, really clear. I woke up and I just knew it was the Lord. And, uh, and he, in the dream was a significant person who later became my boss about three years later. And in the dream, this lady, Liz, uh, was speaking to me and said, you must stay, you must stay. You must, you must finish what you've started. If you don't do what you've started, you won't get what's coming to you later. And I awoke and I knew it was the Lord and I just sucked it up and did what I needed to do. And I finished my degree. And then I got a job doing the very thing in the very place that I wanted to do. Years later, we moved to an unexpected land of Northern Ireland. And I trained to be a teacher. And I could not have done that had I not finished my degree at university. I would not have got what was coming to me. And it's about being faithful, about being in the right place at the right time, doing something that maybe I didn't actually want to do at the right time. But it was about being faithful. And not only was it faithful, in those times, being at university where I had a lot of time to myself, let's be honest, university students, flipping heck. Not all of them. I know if you do a proper one like dentistry. <laughs> Going to insult lots of people here, aren't I? <laughs> all right, I did sport at university. <laughs> I just held up my hand. Ten hours a week. Ten hours a week. And half of that was playing football or something. <laughs> yeah, you'd think so. You'd think so. I was. I was just. I was lonely, and um, I had a lot of time to myself. And in those times, I just had lots and lots of time with Jesus. I listened to worship music. I read the scriptures, and I prayed. Rock and roll as a university student, eh? But it was in those moments, in those times, that I think God did some of the most profound stuff in me. And I didn't realize it. And I actually despised it at the time. I didn't really, really enjoy it, but I pressed in. Hands up if you are in the dream job right now. Hands up if you'd, there's something in your future that you're reaching for, that you'd love to be in in the future, something that God's placed on your heart. Great. There's a few <laughs> hands up in the dream job. Hands up if you something else. That, that's what we got right there. Have you ever wondered perhaps where you are right now is actually the place God wants you to be in and there's something really deep and profound that he's doing in you right now? 
not saying that for everyone, but that could just be part of it. David was a worshipper. And then secondly, David overcame his painful story because he pressed into relationship with God. Regardless of circumstance, oppression, hardship, being mistreated, being hunted down, awful things happening to his family members, he went to God with all of it. How do we know? We read the Psalms. 150 Psalms were written and he wrote half of them. And many of them were written about one of his painful episodes. He actually puts pen to paper and he writes the most incredible, uh, often lament. Often this is what's going on, God. This is what's going on, God. But yet I hold on to you and cling on to you. In 2 Samuel 22, we read uh, the following verses. It's known as David's song of praise. We don't have time to read it all, but just a few verses, just to capture. This is the heart of David, who's endured and suffered much. He says this, The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge and my savior. From violent people you save me. Then verse 17 of 22, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. Verse 20, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Verse 29 to 30, you, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against the troop. From my God, I can scale a wall. He's basically saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we'll just move on from the last couple that I have there. We have our stories, both positive and negative. They shape us, they form us, they create in us who we are. God has this incredible ability of taking the past, the pain of the past. He takes it and when we put it and we place it upon the altar and we place it at the cross, he does this most incredible thing and rescues and redeems us and sets us free. I've seen it in our lives I've seen it. I've seen it time and time again. Some of the people that I respect the most and look up to the most are those that have had just endured difficult circumstances. And yet, because they went to God with it, have overcome it. Our most painful story has the, the ability to be our finest and greatest outcome in life if we give it over to our God. Remember Joseph's words to his brothers. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That thing in your life the thing that you don't want to expose, the thing that you don't like to admit to. God is probably right now, that's why I'm not looking at any of you in particular, uh, is maybe scratching at it right now. 
going, that's it, that's it. Please, please just give it to me. Please just be brave and just place it upon the altar. I can handle it. I can take it. Give it to me. It's going to be okay. In fact, it's going to be glorious in the future. Do we have time for more or we wrap things up? We've got time. What I love about David is uh, he wasn't perfect. Lots of things happened to him. But he was responsible for some of his actions and probably his worst hour was when he should have been at war. He should have been doing something that all kings do. But he chose to stay at home. And when he stayed at home, he took his eyes and he took his gaze off of what he was supposed to be doing and he stayed at home. And his eyes went elsewhere and he, he saw the beauty of, of another woman that wasn't his own. And he ends up sleeping with her and she falls pregnant and then the, the sin becomes even bigger. He kills the husband of Bathsheba at battle, in battle. He tries to cover it up, tries to pretend it wasn't there. And then Nathan the prophet is sent to him and he owns up and he confesses it. In 2 Samuel 12, 13, beginning of says, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And he owns it. Now, he could have lived with the shame and the guilt for the rest of his days. And it would have marked him. It would have marked him as a leader and as a person for the rest of his days. But he turned to the Lord. In fact, God sent someone to reveal it to him. Why? Because God just wants to restore right relationship. That's all it is. We read in Psalm 51, the most incredible psalm, that again David writes in response to that painful episode and that experience in his life, where he messed up. But eventually he held his hands up. It's like fair cop. I'm going to turn from that and I'm going to do what I can to make things right and I'm going to follow after God for the rest of my life. He doesn't allow the pain of his own poor choices and the guilt that comes with it to define who he was in his present and his future. And I think sometimes we as his people, lovers of Jesus, followers of Jesus, we get stuck in our own guilt and in our own shame because of things that we have done that we're responsible for and we don't quite know how to overcome that and this again is just another brilliant and beautiful story where we see God's redemptive power as we come to him with it and hand it over to him there's nothing that we have done that can separate us from the love of God 